0: All right, here we are with a very special edition (laughs) Warrior Poet Podcast. I believe this is number 12, lucky number 12, coming just a few days after 12-12-12. This is the fourth 12, though, so it changes the the double beast to the quadruple beast, which means nothing at that point. So I think we fully neutralized it with this, the 12th Warrior Poet Podcast. So for any of you out there, if you've been having weird shit happening to you after 12-12-12, know that in listening to Warrior Poet Podcast 12, you've added the fourth 12.
1: And everything's going to be okay. Everything is good (laughs) at this
0: point. So I'm here with my friend, good friend, Donald Schultz. One of the craziest motherfuckers I've ever met. Um, so we'll get into, into some of his antics later. But, uh, but a pleasure to have you here, man. Glad to have you out here in Austin as well.
1: Well, thank you so much. You know, so it's the First time to Austin. I'm a huge fan of, of Texas and, and you know, just the States as a whole. So coming to Austin was a huge treat. And it's beautiful. I mean, the weather's kind of crappy now, but it's been beautiful the last couple of days.
0: Yep, absolutely. Um, all right, if you want to get a little closer to the yeah, mic or bring got, that up a little bit go. more. Is that better? Yeah, yeah. now we're, now yeah. we're talking. <laughs> right on, so you came up here, you were planning on doing some uh, a little bit of bass jumping. We're hopefully going to get that on on camera, yeah. but that seems to be kind of one of your main uh, main things that you're doing right now. so um, how did you get into that? <laughs>
1: Um, you know, my big thing is, is, I'm scared of, of only a select few things. Like, and, and, growing up, I was scared of horses. I was scared of heights and spiders and spiders always stayed with me and I still hate spiders, but I work with the deadliest spiders in the world for venom research and that. So I, I, I actively seek out spiders, um, horses, I ride all the time to try and get over that and the heights, I was like, well, skydiving. And the very first time I skydived, I'm like, okay, I want to base jump. Because skydiving is just like a video game. Base jumping is, is real. You know, you're standing on top of a building, you're standing on a cliff or over a bridge. There's no one telling you yes or no. It's just it's just you. It's very, right. very, pure, pure, uh, pure, very pure. And the, the idea is like a lot of these messages that we have oftentimes are hard to get across. So you do something fun and exciting, get people in and then convey the message to them, whatever that message may be.
0: It seems that, you know, most people, when they have a fear, they don't go straight into it. And I understand that a lot. because I actually had an experience like that as well. But most people just run from it, yeah. like totally, you know, my, my girlfriend is a perfect example of that. She's scared of spiders. And, you know, I keep telling like, look, it's going to be good for your spirit and character and soul if you get over and conquer this fear you know, especially because it's largely irrational. I mean, she's not afraid of black widows and brown recluses and, you know, face-eating, jumping tarantulas. She's afraid of, like, just little house spiders. And (laughs) and so, you know, you got to get over that. You got to get over any kind of irrationality in your brain. But it's not the instinct. So how is it? Is it just, you know, your epigenetics, your DNA, your character? What made you want to go straight into your fears? I think, you know, one of the most
1: freeing things that ever happened was my dad died when i was really young and i didn't really understand what happened died of a heart attack when i was 17 and obviously losing your dad's a heavy thing and then looking at his family his dad died very young of a heart attack his mom of a heart attack his twin brother his sister and then when i hit 20 i was like fuck i'm gonna die young like if if i don't change my behavior or if i don't do anything i'm gonna die young so let's do the
0: most dangerous shit possible make sure sure that i
1: have the (laughs) highest chances of that The, the thing for me was like growing up and being um yeah, growing up poor and not having a lot lot of opportunity, I'm like, well, let's just, you know, sort of make it until it falls apart. And that, that's kinda what we did at first. We'd go out and catch snakes with no, you know, backups, no anti venom, no real plan if we get hurt, just hoping for the best, and usually the best worked. Um and as it went into other things, it was just like don't assume tomorrow is going to be there because it's not. And you know, you're Indeed. living right now, and you do what you do, and and that's it. People who live these eighty-year lives that are blasé and 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 you know, vanilla. And it's not not for me. I'd rather have a short, eventful life than a long, uninteresting one. So, so that was it. My dad dying was me like saying, okay, well, know, yeah, we're all going to die. Screw it. Let's just go balls out. And that, you know, was true in diving. I'm a commercial diver, Dived mm-hmm. with the military and the police. Um, certainly with skydiving, base jumping. And then definitely with reptiles, I would do things people, no, no one else wants to do because I was just like, well, fuck, if you die, you, you die. We all, it's all going to happen. I'd rather have a noble death than, you know, one that's right, not so right, good. Yeah. Right.
0: And there is a great feeling about going into your fear and conquering it. I remember there was a rash of shark attacks mm-hmm. in Florida, like maybe it was 10 years ago. And, um, summer of the shock yeah, yes. yeah 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 it's a bunch of them like there's crazy stories like the uncle jumps out and like grabs his daughter's arm out of the shark's mouth and there's all kinds of stuff so i'm in florida and i have a, a cut that's still kind of open and it's not really healing well and i was like oh, i don't want to go in the water and sharks and i gotta cut and blah 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 and i was like fuck it this sucks i'm in florida i'm in fucking key biscayne yeah i want to get in the water and i want to swim like that's what i'm here for so I like picked a buoy, and it was like a cloudy day, murky. I know the sharks like the murky stuff. You're yeah. from South Africa. We'll talk more about sharks maybe. but I know the sharks like the murky stuff. So I was like, I'm swimming all the way out to that buoy and back with my bloody arm, yeah. and I'm just gonna get over this, and that way I can just play in the surf where it's relatively more safe. Yeah. And so I did it. I started swimming, and it was a weird, cool feeling to get out there. And obviously, I didn't get eaten. But then when I got back, you know, I was like, all right, now I'm fine. And then I could just do my normal stuff and play around okay. in the water, and I was over that fear and I think that's important you know to kind of push through those fear and realize that you know I had a saying that I came up with then: either master your fears or let fear be your master. Exactly, and that and that's a huge part. And sharks
1: were a fear of mine too, but I, I came, you know, sort of overcame it early on when I was doing doing a lot of commercial diving. But that's a rational fear you now. That's like people, okay, well, sharks can't eat people. What's irrational is the media and how they represented that. Ten years ago, the summer of the shark was interesting because mm-hmm. sharks didn't spike. The, the shark attacks didn't spike. They only spiked in Florida media was having a low time, they didn't have anything to report on, so all of them were like, oh, sharks are coming straight for (laughs) us. Statistically, over the last hundred years, shark attacks have stayed the same, even though the population has quadrupled. So yeah. it's bullshit. There's, sharks aren't attacking us. Like yeah. the 99% of the world, sharks are gone. So it's like there's a huge drop in shark numbers, but the press gets hold of it. They're like, they're coming straight for us. Right. I was a cameraman in Shark Week for two years, and we'd take 2,000 pounds of chum, like salmon, not, not crappy chum, like actual Atlantic salmon, where it's like fatty and like beautiful. Yeah. Throw that in the water to get the sharks to attack us. Other than that, they wouldn't do anything. And like what kind of sharks th- are you talking about here? Tiger sharks, lemon sharks, great whites. Like the only way to get great whites to come in is to, to lure them in. We'd shoot for 10 yeah. days. Attack
0: your cage, right?
1: No, no, attack us. I mean, we just <laughs> wait, <laughs> wait,
0: wait, 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 wait. Wait, you're trying to get great whites to attack you. Oh,
1: uh, we, we were. Um, it was Survivor Man, Les Stroud. I was a cameraman on his Shark Week special um, a couple of years ago. And, and we were filming tiger sharks, and we wanted to get them in. And, 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 and yeah, sharks are smart. They just, you know, big sharks aren't stupid. They don't get big by being stupid. So So when they look at you, they recognize you, they see you. And when you're underwater, they'll look, they'll be like, eh, not interested. All they get interested in they come back and the only way to get them in is either they have them attack you by surprise which is impossible for filming or you get them to come <laughs> in with with. I mean, of generally
0: th- a bad idea <laughs> I would just, think
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it depends on who's attacking I mean we got a guy attacked by a shark for Shark Week we put chain mail on a wetsuit over put a piece of fish on the inside of his leg and then filmed that with fake blood and actually had a real person get attacked by a shark and I filmed it I was like well that's,
0: that's pretty cool what kind of shark
1: it was a reef shark but it was still 8 feet yeah. long
0: and it was big enough to shake him around now, I mean, wouldn't you think that even with the chainmail, the pressure of the jaws could do some damage? Once, I mean- you,
1: once you get past about a certain size, then yeah, it would turn the, the flesh into spaghetti underneath the chainmail. <laughs> and you know, n- knowing these things helps when you when you're getting someone attacked by a shark. You know, rather than figuring it out in the job. But yeah, I mean, in shooting Shark Week, the most misrepresented animals in the world. They they have no beef with people. Like you can be actively bleeding in the water. They got no interest in you. The people that do get attacked. That's sad, you know. It, it yeah. is sad, but it's for the amount of human beings. It's, in it's the a water. more
0: case of mistaken identity usually than, it, exactly. than people tell you. They think you're a seal. That's why surfers get attacked so much, right? And
1: that's why, yeah, exactly. And you know, even that happening, you know, Southern California, from from San Diego to LA, there's only been one deadly great white shark shark attack in the last whatever because they just leave people alone. And there is a nursery in Malibu. That's where great white sharks give birth. That's the only place in the world that we find baby great white sharks. They live there, and no one gets that's attacked. That's terrifying. And is terrifying but but they are there that's that's the yeah. thing is they now they're so, starting to take photographs of these white sharks breaching the surface and everyone's like well, the sharks are coming straight for us it's like well no we're actually going straight for the sharks the sharks have always been there right yeah man that's i sharks. mean
0: <laughs> <laughs> the i think the thought of that's so terrifying of sharks for most people i guess for you you might have a different perspective you kind of you've been in their world enough that you feel almost like a kindred species to a certain degree you've dove and when you're diving if for anybody who hasn't you know been diving it's a lot different than snorkeling yeah. snorkeling is like walking on the outside of a fish tank you know you're very aware of your limitations and breath and having to stay on the surface sure you can you know scamper down to the bottom and then have to come right back up but scuba diving is a different animal mm. you know you really feel like an aquatic creature for a you know, the most part. You're down there with the fish and it's a different level. And I guess doing as much diving as you, maybe you have a even more of a, of a feeling of that.
1: I feel like scuba diving when you're on the surface is the scariest part for sharks, even on Shark Week, because yeah. that's where you have the whole, I look like a dolphin, I look like a, a seal, right. I look like a, something that a shark eats. <laughs> yeah? right. So being on the surface sucks, absolutely. Once you go underneath, it's a whole different world. And especially with sharks, when you know where they are, it's a lot cooler when you're sneaking up on the shark, not the other way around. Because sharks don't often see you. And sometimes if they do see you, they'll swim away. So yeah. if they don't see you, you can sneak up on them. And that's, that's <laughs> fun. You know, you give a shark a fright. And one <laughs> of the things that we we used um, on Shark Week is a rebreather. So that's what the military used and I dived with in South Africa. And that and it doesn't give off bubbles. So it's silent. So you can sneak up on other animals. Like usually with scuba, it's like... Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. You know, and yeah, yeah, the yeah.
1: water, with rebreather, it makes no noise. And so you can sneak up on fish. So when you're filming them, you can film straight up. You don't have bubbles. When you're filming next, and they can't hear you. And that's where when we were diving and feed you know, you'd swim up next to a shark and turn around and actually gets a fright and swims away, which is, <laughs> you know, then, then they're not so scary. Then they right, seem cute. Right, right. You know? <laughs> so, uh-huh. Cute so, sharks. So, yeah, and that's the thing. You know, phobias, find a phobia. I, I find something that I'm scared of, you know, basically dissect it, try and understand as much about it. See, so It's not that scary. And then the stuff that still is scary, then I just try and carry on going until I got no interest in it. Yeah, either. I mean,
0: there's, there's a difference between actual fear that's irrational and the the fear is useless you should try and conquer all irrational fear at at all times relentlessly you know without mercy conquer that fear but there's also danger and i think you cross into a lot of areas where it's not just conquering your fear you're actually placing yourself in a certain degree of danger like what did you do that that time where you put yourself in a box of deadly snakes (laughs) let's talk about that
1: (laughs) well you know as i said i try and use interesting content to you know illicit interest and then change. Um, I was filming a series for Animal Planet, and we traveled around the world. We went and researched anti venom in Sri Lanka, and while we were there, we noticed no antivenom. Um, you know, second highest amount of bites of people in the world, and then you know they they just forgotten about. It. So I thought what would be interesting is live in a box this big, literally the size of your office, for okay. t- ten days on the Vegas. So for
0: people, that's like what twenty by
1: twenty. Yeah, I think it was exactly twenty by twenty with a shower and a toilet. Yeah. all with glass so people could see in. Um, so the shower and the toilet was frosted glass, but they could still see my silhouette. So we went into poo. Why? Yeah. why
0: I mean, at that point, Donald, why not just give them a real show? You well, know, you know the, the, why like, frost it, the glass, buddy?
1: Well, it, was, it was animal planet and they're like back and forth on the stuff. You're and just like, an animal, man. I, I know, they, what, right? they make the <laughs> fucking chimps put on Halfway pants? through, I went to start flinging poo in that. <laughs> like just be like, animals shouldn't be in cages. <laughs> and the, the most interesting thing for that, so I lived in a box. 10 days, 100 snakes. We started with 50, added five each day, um, including black mambas, forest cobras, rattlesnakes.
0: You put put Kobe Bryant in there with you? Yeah,
1: every single... Two black mambas, actually. Two green mambas, two black mambas. Um, And the idea was to show the snakes don't want to attack you. So in this cage, living with snakes, no problem. After about four days, people in Vegas realize what's happening. So every night, drunk people come and then... you Yo, do something, catch a snake. Yo, are you sleeping? I'm like, yeah, I am actually trying to sleep. Because every day we were filming during the day and sleeping at night, so the crew would peace out. And like literally for the last three nights, drunk people kept me up. So three nights of no sleep, and then we had to catch all the snakes in the cage and put them in bags to leave the cage because the cage was built on the Vegas strip outside Caesar's Palace, right? Like like in full view of the public. So we did that, the last snake I, I picked up, I basically it was a puffer that held it like that, exhausted and its fang went into my thumbnail. I was like, fuck, that's exactly what I didn't want to do, to have a snake bite showing that snakes are friendly. Right, Luckily, right. no venom, got out, was perfect. We raised funds for anti-venom
0: research. We raised- So, so your thumbnail acted me. as a buffer. Yeah, exactly.
1: Like there it, it was venom on my thumbnail and a scratch from the fang. So I was like, hmm, that, that was close. And like we didn't make a big deal out of it because I didn't want to get all that negative press. <laughs> But So we did that. It, it aired five days later on Animal Plant for two hours called Venom in Vegas and got massive like, worldwide acclaim because people are like, I'm not scared of snakes anymore. And I, to this day, people, I'll be in a, like, a bar or something and be like, you're the guy that lived in the box with snakes, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I've done other things. But yeah, thanks for that. I was in West Hollywood peeing at a urinal. Which it, is
0: equally as dangerous yes. as living in a box with snakes.
1: And the, and the guy walks up to me, he's like, Uh, I enjoyed Venom in Vegas and I'm standing there with my penis in my hand I'm like, I don't have any snakes with me now.
0: Oh, and he's like, except for one. Oh, yes, you do. (laughs) (laughs) You have a snake. I can catch it. I can catch it with my mouth. And I was like, I thought it was funny.
1: I don't have any snakes with me now except for one. And he's like, and you walked away. I'm like, that's as funny <laughs> as I get. And like and especially empirical. Yeah, right.
0: Were and you trying to were you trying to conquer your homophobia as you conquer I other got, fears? No? I got
1: no homophobia, man. I, I, <laughs> I love the gays, man. I grew up in South Africa with a bunch of, my, my mom was a friends with a bunch of prostitutes and gay guys, like people that were uh-huh. ostracized by the community, like back in apartheid South Africa. And I didn't grow up knowing any like, because racial stereotypes and racial hate was so big in South Africa, like, it, you know, I, my dad and my mom just were like, you need to just treat everyone the same. Rich, poor, black, white, you know, gay, lesbian. Yep. Everyone, everyone's the same idiot. It's just, you know, how they present themselves. And that, that stuck with me. So
0: how was that? I mean, growing up in, when did apartheid live? Uh, in
1: 1995, Mandela came out of prison Prison 92. So I was in high school. And so like, you were in high school. So yeah. you were
0: 16, 17 yeah. when that happened. So you spent most of your entire youth living in that
1: apartheid regime yeah i mean and like state sponsored hate until 1993 it was against the law to have a relationship with a black lady or black man if you were if you were white
0: it was called the immorality act you and did, did that not incite people to want to do it Just oh absolutely like, oh, yeah yeah they wouldn't make this shit illegal unless it was good let me get some of that exactly <laughs> yeah. and, and the funny thing is so stupid and and
1: we faced civil war we were like facing like it was full-on civil war people were, like okay this is going to descend into anarchy and and then it didn't and nelson Mandela came out and he's like yo like leave the whiteies alone you know let's all be friends and everyone yeah. even the the white racist you know we're like what yeah <laughs> and, weird. And, and yeah exactly and that's why just, the whole country works and now since then it's gone it's gone a little bit african crazy but that's just how africa goes people you know grab money and it's you know it's all sorts of trouble that, that happens but the the actual change from apartheid to to democracy was amazing and and you know israel's you know studied it for trying to use the truth and reconciliation commission where they said If you tell the truth and tell us everything you did, you won't have any charges laid against you. But if you withhold anything and we find out what happened, then we will charge you. So Mm -hmm. it's full on truth. Like you come out, you tell all your secrets, you don't go to jail. And that's how South Africa got over all their problems.
0: So who who was given that? The politicians were given that? Everyone. As long as
1: it was politically motivated, it was fine murder rape any of that as long as you came out and you and you had to go and, and they'll call hearings wow. and your victims would be there and everyone and the craziest footage i remember and like it changed me as a person was a guy who blew up a, a whole bunch of people and the mom of one of the guys that was blown up was there hugging this guy who was the bomber and forgiving him and it was black and white multiple times this happened but like black and white on both sides of the coin black victims white victims black you know perpetrators white perpetrators but each time you know you have these people crying and hugging and emotional how and much
0: like, ecstasy did they have to put in the water <laughs> supply to make right? that plan work and
1: the, that's the thing is like south africans you know both sides of, of the race divide black and white are passionate and physical people you know they yeah. they civil war is fun you know and that's that's what everyone was thinking it's like they're going to civil war there's no way to stop it and everyone hugged and made up and, and that was it so
0: <laughs> crazy <laughs> right man, crazy um and it's and it's Things are pretty good there now?
1: Way better. Um, the only thing that's gone down is uh, the, the current president is allegedly corrupt. So he's building like a 250 million rand, which is like a hundred million dollar house for himself with like a bunker and a hospital and all that while people are still starving. So like that's yeah. where the divide comes. But that's <laughs> African countries for you. you know, that yeah. Often what happens, no matter what the leader is, you know, it's just cronyism. And I guess it happens in America too, to a certain extent.
0: Yeah, as much <laughs> as they can get away with it. I mean, yeah. it's just they can maybe get away with a little more. Yeah. Um, in Africa so so what do you think and I've been to Africa I spent some time in Uganda and Kenya and Tanzania um, man it's a it's a big big task to try and get get a lot of those things kind of straightened out and helped I mean what what's your view to, what's your view on that all the aid that comes in it seems like it's not being used in the right way because what I experienced there is that a lot of the best and brightest uh, people in Africa and there's plenty a lot of people going to school really smart very articulate they weren't trying to start businesses, they weren't trying to do anything in politics. What they were really doing is writing the best grants, you know, and just creating programs to siphon more money in. And it seemed like that that's like the easiest way to get money and get ahead in Africa is to go after the grant money. Rather than kind of try and build something, and obviously that's not everybody, but yeah. that seemed to be one of the issues. So, what do you think? You know, what do you think the world should kind of pay attention to for Africa? Being an African yourself,
1: um, one of the big things that, that people don't realize is America, you know, funded and financed a lot of what happened in Africa, and then when that financing ran out, people were like, okay, well then Africans will just take care of themselves, and that certainly didn't happen. And now there's a lot of finance coming from Chinese, and the way it works, and this comes back to endangered wildlife and all that. The way it works is a, a lot of like um, Chinese companies and Chinese nationals and that will go to a country and say, okay, well, you don't have any hospitals, schools, or roads. We'll build that, but we want your mineral rights. Or you build that, we want your fishing rights. And the locals are like, well, we don't have anything. So yeah, of course, you know, go for it. Yeah, we don't care yeah, what's yeah. in the ocean. We don't <laughs> right. even have boats, you know? Right. And so like Mozambique is a good example. We go and you sit on the coast of Mozambique and you can count 50 longliners and they're catching dolphins, sharks, turtles, All the fish, straight dolphins. Everything. Assholes. Everything. (laughs) Exactly. Fuck you, dolphin. Uh, (laughs) And it's like basically taking everything out of the ocean. And the Mozambicans don't know anything about it. And by the time that it gets to a point of legislation it's already too late. Um, we were filming a shark episode down there and they, they fin sharks. So they catch them on a hook, pull them up, cut their fins off, throw them back in the ocean. For they,
0: fin soup or exactly, whatever. Yeah, which
1: it's no nutritional content. It's no benefit. It's purely an ego thing. You you have shark fin soup when you're trying to impress. Well, friends. I guess
0: there's cartilage in there, but you can get that from fucking anywhere. Yeah, Gelatin of some e- sort. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And it's all like, and the, the, more, the bigger the shark, the more expensive the fin, the more rich you are. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. like it's total bullshit. So, Sharks, you know, sexually mature at sixteen years, live for maybe fifty. We don't really know. And these guys are cutting their fins off just for one meal. So that and the shark dies. Shark dies, and it doesn't die right away either. Like sometimes they'll survive for a week because they can't swim. So they're like basically now sea slugs laying on the bottom of the ocean, starving to death. And like that, and we're talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of sharks per ship. Now we're talking about like worldwide four hundred and fifty million sharks a year. Like that's, that's huge, that's why shark numbers are going down. So I said to the Mozambicans, I was like, well, why don't you just go out there and chase them away? Like, oh, once we went out there, we shot rounds at them to chase them away and they like blank rounds and they pulled out real AKs and started shooting at us. And they're like, fuck that, sharks are worth it. Yeah, yeah. And like, that's, that's what's happening with Africa. Yeah, you know, a lot of people are investing money, taking away all the stuff that we think is important—the environment, the animals, the minerals, things that we need—like depleting them and moving on. And you're going to have African countries that are like just ridden hard and put away wet because they just, were just neglected by by Western society. That being said, Africa doesn't need money; it needs people. Yeah, giving an African money doesn't do anything else than give them you know food for a day or a week or whatever teaching africans skills and going back to africa is a huge big thing for me and you know taking people back and making them happy and seeing how important africa is in, to, to the whole world because it's not just full of africans like there are inventors and and pioneers and you know development going on there
0: that, that with a little bit of money would be huge right all right so let me back up real quick for people who don't understand well some people might be like oh man fuck the sharks Anyway, he's always trying to fuck with us you know so the problem with killing all these sharks is as i understand it correct me obviously you're an expert in the area you kill the sharks the sharks eating some of the larger predatory fish Mm -hmm. you know and so um the larger predatory fish have no predators to keep them in check Mm -hmm. so because there's so many more of those other fish like tunas and other things like that then they start eating all the the little fish Mm -hmm. right so the whole food chain gets jacked all the way from the top by removing the apex predator from the chain. Is that, is that really, Uh,
1: that's, that's, that's the, the long and short of it. Other than the fact that, you know, if you hate sharks and say they serve no purpose, or if you just hate sharks as a person, that's fine. They still serve a purpose. We did some research and we found that, um, sharks, even if they aren't eating animals, Just the idea of a shark, like the shadow of a shark in the sky makes other animals breed less because they have a predatory, like they have uh, something over them that's bigger and scarier. So they still sneak around, even if it's a nurse shark that doesn't eat fish. Just the, the silhouettes of a shark, they'll sneak around and like live in the in the shadows. As soon as that shark silhouette is gone, then they're like, screw it, I'm the big fish, and they come out. So, so even if it's not actively predating on a fish, just the, the shark in the ecosystem is enough to keep the ecosystem under check.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. All right. So then to, to go back, just, just wanted to clear that up for people to understand. But then to go back to Africa, <clears throat> um, so many people are like, Oh, you know, we gotta help Africa, we gotta help Africa i'm like you know your cause is noble your heart is absolutely in the right place but how you're going about it is you know you got to take a look at that Mm -hmm. because just you know throwing some money um toward a kid in africa you know really when you actually track those dollars down just a fraction is going to that actual kid. Most of it goes to the organization and the commercials that got you to buy it and the executives and not saying that all organizations are like that, but there's some good kind of watchdog websites that you can check out to kind of see how much money is actually getting there. But then even the money getting there, it's just, it's a resource that's not doing anything. It's not putting that money to work. So if someone wants to get involved and say, you know, fuck, you know, I really want to help out Africa. It's a dire situation. What would you recommend to them? Just your every, average, everyday person.
1: The funny thing, and this is going to sound like a sponsored message because I do eco tours and that. And the reason I do eco tours is for this reason. Every seven people that go to Africa gives an African a full-time job for a year. And that trickles down. And the difference is if you give, and I, I have major issues with some of these like, you know, fund organizations, just like sure. you do. Um, and one of the major issues is if you go to Africa and you see someone that needs money, you can give them five dollars. Mm-hmm. That for me is huge. And then also the the, the trickle down from the, the tourism is huge. It's massive. That's what stabilizes countries in Africa. You right. know, diamonds and that is it's a destabilizing force. Oil is, you know, look at all the countries that have oil, diamonds, and gold, usually at war. So, the, so that's the big thing. I'd say visit Africa, see for yourself. And you know, if you see someone who needs money, give it to them. Like seriously, right. like that's that's my, my take home. The other part of that is if you're into animals and you're traveling to a, a reserve or something, going there and empowering the locals to be pro-conservation versus pro-hunting is what saves animals. I worked with Jane Goodall and that's how she saved those, the, the chimps is basically by saying, okay, they're not bush meat, but you can also make money from showing lo- like tourists where the chimps are. And that's what saved gorillas and chimps. Literally, that was it. Not guns, not anti-poaching things. It was people going out there and then changing the, the mentality of the locals. The same thing with Africa. If we give them money, no, I'm not saying them, if we give Africans money like as governments and that, they just gonna want money. If you uh-huh. say, okay, well, here's an industry where you can make way more money right. than anything else. Make that safe and you know, renewable. Then you know then everyone's, environment wins, animals win, we win, the Africans win.
0: Yeah, and there's also some successful micro loans, kind of uh, charities and things that I know you can get involved there. Yeah. Um, going back to the conservation thing. So one of the craziest things I've seen. I've seen you do a lot of crazy things. You send me videos all <laughs> the time. I have to post some of these so uh, so everybody can see what I'm talking about. But it's this video, and and you're you're huge into rhino conservation. That's yeah. uh, a major issue. A lot of rhinos are being poached, similar to the shark fin soup. Mm-hmm. They're cutting off their horn. They're making some kind of what are they doing? Uh,
1: it's supposed to be either aphrodisiac um, and but, big big yeah, horn, yeah, exactly big horn. Big or, dick. Or, the other the <laughs> other big thing is it's supposed to cure fevers, and it's like really. It was like, fever's the scourge of our time. Like, is that really as bad as like, you have to kill a prehistoric, essentially prehistoric animal for a fever. So those are the two things, you know, shark fin soup is, is status. Rhino horn is aphrodisiac and fever. And now elephant tusks, I got an email this morning. They just found a container full in Malaysia from Togo. Elephant tusks are chopsticks.
0: For a huge, giant sumo uh, age. I mean, how do you? Well, <laughs>
1: yeah. So they they take the elephant tusks and they oh, cut yeah, them they into little of blocks <laughs> of wood, and they <laughs> ship the wood to China, and then they'll make anything out of them. But the right. big thing now is going back to ivory chopsticks. That's the so big, some
0: kind of stuff, some like gator shoes. Exactly. Gator. And, and, boots. and I'm like,
1: if elephants were abundant everywhere, that's fine. I'm okay with killing animals to conserve them. I know it's a hugely controversial thing, but you can't you can't save everything. You have to save species, and like right. that's where I get pro that. But now, you know, with with the the way the economics are going, Asia's got more money, Africa's got less, supply and demand, suddenly people who couldn't afford elephant, rhino, and shark now can, the demands just skyrocketed. The, the highest amounts of elephant, shark, and, and rhino poaching in the last 25 years has happened this year.
0: So, And, and those numbers are just increasing. Incre- last is, year, 4,
1: 444 rhinos were killed. This year, over 600. In one day, in one town in South Africa, and this is South Africa. That's like a
0: 33% increase. That, yeah, it, it, it's, that's unsustainable if that growth keeps going. There's two, not going to be. How many rhinos are left? 20,000
1: in Africa. Last year, two species went extinct. And both of them, well, one of them was Asian, it was a Vietnamese rhino, which, which one of the big demands is, so it's, that's logical. And then the other one is a North African rhino. So, So two species are gone forever.
0: Yeah. Last and, year. and no dicks are any bigger. No and, <laughs> and and nobody is getting more pussy because and, these rhinos are gone. And, and the, that's a fact. And the funny thing I can thing verify is, that. Like, I can put the Onnit Labs <laughs> stamp of approval on that. And that. the funny
1: thing is, like speaking to you about these projects, it's hard to get corporate sponsorship for them because you know some of this content's pretty heavy. I approached Pfizer and said, Hey, buy us a four x four for anti conservation, uh, for for anti poaching conservation in Africa. And we'll put Viagra on the side. And they're like, No. I'm like, come on. You make the product that could save this animal. We want yeah, you yeah, to yeah. get the vehicle that will save the animal. I'm like, and you're Pfizer. I'm like, it's not like you don't have money. Yeah, you
0: know? yeah, it's silly. So, so anyway, so this video, he's, Donald. Donald <laughs> sends me this video, and um, it's a you know pretty emotional video that shows you you know you're rolling out with a local team. What country are you in? South Africa. South Africa. Um, so rolling out with a local team, and um, you're kind of tracking down some poachers, and you come across a field where rhinos have been. Uh, their horns have been taken off and they're just left for dead there Mm -hmm. and it's a really kind of emotional scene for you to kind of roll up on this and for the viewer as well um you keep following the track and and come up on the actual poachers and you're you know you're kind of following it looks you know real gorilla style got your cameras rolling all of a sudden shots ring out like high velocity rounds coming over you guys hit the deck and at that point in the video you're like oh shit. Oh, shit. This is get, <laughs> This just got real. Yeah. This got, got real as fuck right now. Yeah, I'm like, I'm, oh, we're being shot at again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then, so then, so your dudes drop down, but some of your dudes have AKs. Yeah, yeah. And then these other dudes pop up and they start, whap wah, wah, you know, sending shots back at the poachers who are shooting at them. And then you roll up and you... Capped one, killed him.
1: Yeah, the, the, the full yeah, that's the sizzle. The full story was we went, yeah, we killed one guy. And my my, my take home message was that, like, do you want a gun? And I said, no. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> because if there is a problem down the road, I don't want to even have a weapon because uh, that shit. Sure. When, we, when we rolled up there, we were there for 14 days. We called the cops. We are like, hey, we are doing anti poaching stuff. They said to us, don't call us unless there's a body. I was like, oh. And then when we went and found those dead rhinos, I've been working in, in Africa with animals for 34 years, you know, like my yeah. entire life. And I'd never seen a dead rhino. And then we go, they're lying to us. They won't let us near anything because they are law enforcement, but they're also poachers. They're like, no, no, no. We eventually weasel our way to where the dead rhinos are. We film them mm-hmm. and then we tracking these guys. We hide the footage on the way out, those guys trying to arrest us. And they say to us, if you go to jail in Nduma, which is northern Zululand, you won't come out the same, meaning you'll get raped, which is you know, obviously, but the HIV and AIDS prevalence up there is 50%. Mm-hmm. And it's called slow puncture, where they get someone with HIV to rape you, so that's like something you take home. And this guy's standing in the door of the car telling me this, and I'm like, hmm. He's like, are you a film crew? And we said, no. And in our four by four, we open the back and there's a giant magnet that says, film crew with our telephone number. <laughs> <I'm> like, oh. <laughs> so after two hours of interrogation that they let us go, the only way we got the footage out, we took the footage out of the cameras, put it inside of a base parachute.
0: Also known as your asshole. <laughs> yeah, no, no. no.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the thought. So I was like, cause as we were driving, I'm like, dude, I have a bad feeling. Like I'm like, this has been too good. Something's gonna go down.
0: So, so before this though, we haven't gotten to the story where you rolled up on this poachers. I mean, this is oh, after, yeah. this is after the so happened? So oh, they, right. they they start they see you coming and they're like shit yeah and they got they got high velocity rounds meant for poaching yeah. right hard 30, 30 harder 30 to reload 80, yeah. yeah so so they start shooting at you yeah right and you you get bullets whizzing by you yeah then your dudes pop up return fire yeah. and then you roll up on them and then what happens well how is that scene because you oh, just see a fraction okay of so,
1: so that whole scene how it played out is it's a shoot to kill policy um those guys had killed those first two rhinos and they killed another two. And that's what they're actually in the full episode. You see them hacking at the rhinos. And that's when one of the guys sees us and shoots at us. It's a shoot to kill policy on the side of law enforcement or property owners. So as soon as poachers see anyone, they just start shooting.
0: So you have a right. If you see a poacher and you're rolling around, you have a right to shoot him with the intent to kill
1: him. Oh uh, yeah, on sight.
0: Yeah. Like, absolutely. Seems and like a good deterrent, but people just aren't using that cause. If they put that shit in Texas, it'd, oh my God, right? there would be no poaching. People would be like, I'm going to get me a human. <laughs> right? I'm going to get me a human today. Come on, poach something. Po-. They'd, be, they'd be breeding extra animals and teasing people with them and, like, and genetically modifying extra large horns that glue... That, like glowed in the sky like unicorns, <laughs> magic people. just to pull poachers, in. come on do it come on but but it's nobody's taking that up in, the, the in thing
1: is it's the weird it's once it comes down to economics so the guy on the ground in africa doing the poaching, and the, often the the bottom of the pyramid scheme who's making no or the top of the pyramid scheme whatever who's making no money he's he's getting literally like a hundred dollars for it for a horn that's maybe worth a hundred thousand dollars so he's the bottom of the scheme and those are the guys that you're killing which makes you sad because they just yeah, tra- yeah. as trapped up as you are. But once someone starts shooting you, all fucking bets are off. Then I'm yeah, not the UN sure. anymore. Like, then you, no, then yeah, yeah. you shoot at me, I shoot at you. That's the rules. So <laughs> that that was that. But in Africa... It's got so bad now that they're hiring ex-military guys to kill these rhinos. So they're using helicopters. They're using night vision. They're using veterinarians. So they don't even have to use guns anymore. They use M99, which is what Dexter uses. And they've had cases now where they use m 99s as their torfin. They'll dart the rhino, cut the horn off, and the fucking rhino wakes up. And they'll find the rhino two or three days later with half of its face missing. There's one rhino in Johannesburg that's been poached three times. It's got 16 fucking bullets in it. It's a black rhino, it was poached, they cut the horn off, they recovered it, the horn starts growing back again, So it's like basically like toenail, but they fucked its whole face up. It was poached again, they shot it again, they cut its horn off again, brought it into like a private reserve, and then they shot it again, just for spite. They didn't even try and get it. they just shot it through the fence. And now it's living at the Johannesburg Zoo. So these people
0: aren't. Normal. That's a gangster rhino. That's like that's I mean, like a no, that's no, like the Rasputin of rhinos. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's fitty. He
1: walks with a limp in there. <laughs> yeah,
0: he needs a record label. <laughs> Gold tape. <Yeah. chain.
1: laughs> well, he lives in Johannesburg. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that, that's the kind of people you're dealing with. It used to be a guy in the field with a gun and flip flops and a machete. Now it's. Often, you know, ex-military guys from different countries in helicopters at night. So it's, it's become a syndicate thing. It's being run like drugs. It's, last year was $400 million in rhino horns alone. It's ridiculous.
0: That's a lot. It's, it's, it's huge.
1: I mean, it's a huge industry. And the, the people who make the least money are the guys on the ground that would make good conservation officers if the industry was, right. you know, tourism-based rather than, than killing animals-based.
0: So go visit some rhinos
1: go visit anywhere in the world and do things that basically make people, you know, want to conserve the the environments and animals, right?
0: Visiting zoos is
1: cool, but if you can go to like a full on reserve, that's way better. You often see less animals, but it's better
0: for the animals. Yeah. 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 So to go back, right, we, I don't think we quite finished this story. So you're you're getting threatened with being raped, raped slow yeah. punctured in the bunghole, yeah. raped with AIDS. <laughs> with AIDS, AIDS rape, as, yeah. as, as, as a little add addition to the yeah. pleasures that you're about to receive in jail. You get threatened with that. And they're going through what's going through your head right now? I mean, you conquer a lot of fears and, and you know, you've pretty much mastered. But at that point, you gotta be a little bit oh shit. The
1: the, the things that scare me are um People in authority position, drunk on power or just drunk. Yeah, like those are the two things in Africa. Oftentimes, guys will pull you over and they have guns and they are drunk, and you're like, oh fuck. <laughs> yeah. And this is in the really remote places. And when we got pulled over, these guys are drunk on power. where they are like, you know, mm, like we could say they were fighting back or whatever. My cameraman was like, he's an South African guy. He's like, let's just tell them we're making a documentary. I'm like, no. I'm like, these guys are the enemy. The guys we can tell we're making a documentary are their bosses, but they are. You know far away so like it's right. just lie till now and my other friend was a base jumping friend he was just with and he hid the footage in the base base parachute so like mm-hmm. when they searched our vehicle multiple times they got, grabbed the parachute and they were going to open it i was like don't do that there's a spring inside it'll hit you in the face and the lady was like oh okay and she put it down that's how we fucking got the footage out that's the only reason we have any of that footage then we spoke to once we got away we drove away got back to 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 shishlui where we are staying called the head and told him what happened he's like oh, okay yeah we're investigating Two days later, we found two of those guys were the poachers. The guys that have, they had like M16s in our face, right, like right, pointing right, at us, right. telling us to get in and out the car and searching our shit. And you guys probably just capped their buddy. Well, that's the thing. It's like, you know, you don't know who's involved or who not. who's not. The private security firm we work with has a document with all the poachers, their addresses, the syndicates and all that, but you can't give it to the cops because the cops are involved man so the only yeah, i mean it's a it's a cute and there's a book out now called killing for profit by a friend of mine called julian radame it goes up all the way into the embassies as a vietnamese diplomat that was bussed twice smuggling rhino horn he invoked diplomatic immunity both times
0: and we're talking a lot of rhino yeah, horn. And, we're not and, talking like one in his suitcase n- no, here no, we're and, talking and like,
1: you're talking about you talking about a hundred thousand dollars it's more more valuable than gold it's a hundred thousand dollars for one horn that doesn't even weigh a pound so the, these guys are making massive money and he's a diplomat, so he's like, you can't do anything. Goes back that's to South Africa. That's a lot more valuable than gold. Yeah, exactly, I mean, it's ridiculous. And like, he, he got busted. diplomatic community carried on working, got busted again and invoked it again and then just left South Africans work, working somewhere else now. So that's, that's, the, that's the problem.
0: Well, <laughs> you're raising awareness, you're bringing it out there. I, we, uh, we'll post this video after the podcast well, and uh, everybody out there, you know, take a look and share it, get yeah. the word out. And you're going with an unlikely character out there to, to, for the cause. You're going out there with Kesha here. Yeah, right? yeah. That
1: well, the, that's the interesting thing about TV is is uh, the, the Kesha thing. We were trying to get a show going about conservation yeah. and it seems like all the networks now don't want to show real things like anymore. Like they don't want to do any anti-poaching. They don't want to do animal shows. They don't want to do anything with real guts because it's too much for people to handle. So like a lot of the stuff, stuff that we're doing now, we're releasing independently. So we don't have to water it down to become this generic mass TV model yep. So, like the last show i did we went to people's houses to have animals that shouldn't have them try and take them away it was with clint eastwood's daughter allison eastwood mm-hmm. called animal intervention except the animals are lions tigers and bears and all the animals are in the state. so like upstate pennsylvania tiger a lady here gotta in be texas plenty in texas yeah. yeah texas a lady living in an rv with four monkeys like we try to help her and all that and those they, are her lovers how texas. dare you take those away and, and her husband <laughs> <laughs> and like that show they don't want to renew because it's too real like people don't like seeing real stuff so like the poaching thing this documentary. well on the internet
0: they do just maybe the networks don't have the stomach for it that's you know? the
1: thing and like this poaching documentary I offered to give to a bunch of tv channels like national geographic discovery and all and they're like it won't rate it's too real it's like the cove it's like it's too much of real stuff so this has literally been up offered usually you make a lot of money to make tv i said to them you can have it and they said no that's, yeah. that's, that's well, mainstream you know, media that's
0: the way it's going though I mean uh, the the radio stations are giving away to podcasts and the TV shows are going to give away to the webisodes and webcasts yeah. I mean it's just uh, they can't keep control on this forever you yeah. know? but in the meantime working within the system you're going to bring a pop star out there yeah. water it down a little bit hopefully Kesha won't get shot at that's or exactly. you know depending on how much you like Kesha we yeah. obviously don't want <laughs> her to have problems but it could be kind of <laughs> cool to see her get shot at Yeah. you know and just to yeah. see a little whoa holy shit this is real now this is yeah. real yeah um, all right, all right. And then,
1: and then, you know, the, the bringing it all back full circle to the reason I'm here yeah is using interesting things to get people excited about this. We're going to do a, a legal base jump in Vegas, um, on, I think the 10th of January, next Next I sorry. The the tenth of January, um, I'm gonna do a legal base jump at CES. And while we are doing doing a bunch of jumps for you to make videos that we're like, hey, look at all this crazy shit we're doing. Woo! And then people watch the video at the end, you're like, by the way, (laughs) this is because of rhinos. And even if one out of ten people take notice, it's still more than if you're just trying to get them with a a Sarah McLaughlin
0: song or or something like that. Right. Yeah. You could jump naked too, (laughs) and that would help. (laughs) You know, I would get a
1: girl to jump there. It's way more <laughs> even though that sounds good until you actually see it, the boobs never look as good in free fall. Like they just become scrambled air like not scrambled, they just become like just like very like, if yeah. they small, they look good. If they big, then it's just like all over the place and it's yeah, Just going just going into the armpits. <laughs> in the face. <laughs>
0: um all right, so so let's talk about this bass jumping a little bit. Another yeah. one of the crazy videos that I've seen and um you're you're jumping, I think it's Iger and mm. you're you've gotta it's the, which is a big cliff, your base jumping off this big cliff, following a flight path. And um, as you're going, you see this outcropping of rocks coming <laughs> up. And as you're watching, you're like, oh shit, oh shit, Donald's gonna hit this thing, <laughs> right? And you pass it and it's just like not far away. No, it's a couple that.
1: feet, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I turned left and flew down the ridge. Like that was yeah, like yeah. flying over things is easy because you don't really burn altitude. As soon as you turn, you're burning so much altitude because you don't have an engine. Right. That, like that was what i was trying to time perfectly is that i turned and turned over the so ridge so you started and turning
0: a little bit too soon no no it was actually
1: perfect at what i did if i turned perfect. too soon yeah, I would have hit <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was it was it was, it was perfect because i just missed it <laughs> by yeah, a foot exactly <laughs> but, yeah, always, that's like, the it, crazy <laughs> mentality of a base jumper ladies and <laughs> gentlemen you just heard it there i was saying oh so you did it a little early because you cut it so close but he <laughs> was saying no, no, that was perfect.
1: Yeah, a little early, we <laughs> wouldn't be having this conversation. <laughs> and yeah, the, the interesting uh, story behind that jump is the Uyghur, high Iger that we jumped. It, it was jumped once before in a documentary with Dean Potter. It took him like five years to find the exit point and all this stuff. And my friend, Ian Flanders, who's a phenomenal climber, he's climbed El Cap, he's climbed Half Dome, he's amazing wingsuit and base jumper. He broke both his legs in March. We tried to recover him using its stuff, and you know we, he he's been he's been militantly working out and that. Mm-hmm. Four months later, after two broken legs, you got us the helicopter. <laughs> we got onto the IGA and we jumped a seven thousand foot wingsuit jump. And like mm-hmm. to see a person that I picked up four months before in a wheelchair at the airport that had to wait another week for surgery on his legs. To watch him wingsuit off of a mountain, I almost started crying. Yeah. Except for the fact that I was so fucking shit scared because we're on a <laughs> 7,000 foot cliff. And the wind was blowing so hard that when we jumped off, we got blown off. Like it was a 30 knot wind from the back. So we got blown off the mountain. So I went head low, kind of like along the face and then, then flew along the ridge and then down the glacier.
0: Yeah. Which is. So <laughs> this, video, this video is going to be out soon too, Very right? Soon, we're yeah. just doing a final edit on it, but that's going to be crazy to kind of take a look at. Now we were talking yesterday. Um, for people who don't know much about wingsuiting, you think it's like maybe a little bit of control, but it's a, a lot of control that you have. And you were talking about there's some people now who are able to fly up mm-hmm. with a wingsuit. And, and this is really getting into bird type of shit yep. at this point. You know, They're able to fly up like a hand glider of some sort, mm-hmm. you know, and and also slow their speed down. Talk about that and what, what the ultimate goal of this is crazy endeavor is um well the 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 wingsuiting like obviously
1: everyone's seen vimeo everyone thinks it's like wow that's like the best and the best in the world and it is but wingsuiting is becoming so mass appeal that someone within three months can learn to wingsuit safely out of a plane and if they want to progress they can go on and part of it is people are developing wingsuits that are better technology is improving we understand more parachutes are getting smaller so you got less of a drag So the bigger the wingsuits get, the slower you can fly. So like, you know, bigger Mm -hmm. canopies fly slower. So the wingsuits are getting so big now that last year, a friend of mine got to five miles an hour forward and then zero miles an hour down. So he was just going forward at five miles an hour. So if you've ever fallen off a bicycle or skateboard at five miles an hour, you know, it's not such a big deal. No. Where he was trying to land, there was another cliff, which is his safety. So he could stall out and then fly off the cliff and keep flying. So he can basically see what his GPS was doing. He, he accomplished that last year, and this year, unfortunately, he died. Not doing that, but wingsuiting, you know, proximity flying. Um, there are two or three other guys that are getting to the point now that they're flying so slow that they think they can land without a parachute, which has been the holy grail for a while. A guy did it into boxes like a stunt, but I think next year in Alaska, there's going to be a bunch of attempts of guys landing wingsuits on the side of snowy mountains where they just fly and match what an alpine skier is doing and they just kind of fall out the sky.
0: I match what an alpine skier does when they fuck up and they crash. (laughs)
1: uh, (laughs) osses and elbows everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And and that's it. But now for me, flying slow is not the key. For me, flying precisely is the key. And that often means flying really, really fast. So like the wingsuits that we have are like the samurai swords. They don't fly slow. They only fly fast, but they can turn on the dime. So I could hit a tennis ball from a mile away. Like if you give me something to hit, I could hit it easily. Like Mm -hmm. I could turn around and and that's kind of what we're doing and what, what we're filming with you guys. The first time we jumped the Eiger, we did out of the helicopter. The second time we jumped off the mountain. And the first time we jumped, we flew inside of a cloud for 45 seconds. That's what we're actually adding to the video now. And I'm flying next to the cliff face and you can see the cliff face every now and again, flash by, but I'm essentially in a cloud for 45 seconds, total whiteout, can't see anything. And the cliff's just going over here. And I knew what the mountain looked like. Mm -hmm. I knew there was a glacier so I could see the white. So I just stayed in the cliff. I mean the cloud and flew and flew and you can see the cliff every now and again, just flash (laughs) past. How long was your ride? Minute and a half.
0: Man, that's a that's just the wingsuit jump. So,
1: when you jump, it's the craziest thing. And with
0: your adrenaline going that high, that minute and a half has forever. got to see like and Eternity.
1: And most base jump wingsuits, you jump, you fly, you open, you're like, oh, fucking sensory overload. With this, you, I had time to start fucking around. And I looked between my legs back at the Eiger Summit as I was flying away and looked back. I was like, oh, okay, that's, yeah, that's pretty cool. And as you're flying in, in Switzerland in the Alps, there's a train track that goes down. So, depending on how good you are, there's a town called Grind and then there's Grindelwald. So you jump off the IGA, you fly down, you proxy fly for a bunch, and you fly down to the train track, and you fly to whatever train you want to catch. So if you're really good, you you catch the last train. If you suck, and you catch the first one. So there's like four different places you can stop. So you're flying over houses and trains and trees and shit, and looking where you're gonna land. You feel like a superhero. Yeah. It's absolutely. And when you land, you're like, hmm. Huh. <laughs> <Like, laughs> what now? <laughs> and that that was it. And. No one has dreams of flying as, I mean, as, as skateboarding as a kid or snowboarding or scuba diving. Everyone has dreams of flying. I mean, that's, yep. it's a very basic human thing. And this is one of the few things I've done that the hype lives up to the action. Most people are like, oh, it's the greatest thing ever. You got to do it. Like, yeah, that's, that's
0: cool. Yeah, yeah, like parasailing. Yeah, you like, I was like, yeah. oh, my God, really? Just put me down. This yeah, is yeah. lame. <laughs> right. yeah. And that's it. Wingsuiting has never,
1: and it's like, people are like, well, you can die. Like, well, that's the trade-off. It's the greatest thing ever, but the jeopardy is all death.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So how does that how does that, you know, make you feel? And I guess well, I guess there's two things I wanna get at. One is, you know, that's such an adrenaline dump at that point, you know, and you finish and, and you're on that high. Um, is that the part that gets addicting from it? Is it that actual feeling of getting your senses that alive? I mean, what is it that, that makes people, once they do it, they just want to keep going after it?
1: There, there's new research now that um, shows that the we are not adrenaline junkies we're actually born with a dopamine deficiency Mm -hmm. so we we walk around like you ask most extreme people who walk around like how do you feel on a scale of one to ten and most of them will say a seven but most of them actually when they get interviewed will be a five like Mm -hmm. they walk around at a lower like vibration than most people and then when we do extreme things the vibrations picked up to like a seven so like when we do something amazing we're like okay cool this is a good day and then we're normal so right. it's not like we we, we operate at seven and we hit eleven each time. We actually just you know really mellow and then go to that extreme. So state this is
0: what it takes to get you mellow.
1: <laughs> and that's the crazy thing, and that's why it's like <clears throat> such an addictive behavior because you change your life, you change your behavior in lot. because you're just trying to be on that vibration where everyone else is. You're and just a regular guy looking for happiness. I'm just trying to be normal. And you man. It
0: just just, <laughs> <I'm> just <laughs> trying to be normal. <laughs> I'm all. just hanging out in all boxes right. of snakes and getting right. sharks attached <laughs> and jumping off cliffs I, I, and imagine, missing them by only a foot. <laughs> I mean, imagine how much. It looks like
1: if you woke up and you're like, wow, to feel normal, I'm going to have to jump off a cliff. Like that's, <laughs> that's what I deal with every day. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing is, base jump, like being on a base exit, right? And having four guys around you that could potentially die, right? You know, anyone could potentially die, but having four guys where the chance of death, death is one in 70, because that's the stats, I guess. Is one in 70, you have a chance of dying.
0: Is that a lifetime yeah. of jumping or is that but, per jump?
1: But, well, it's statistically a ju- base jump has one in 70 chance of dying.
0: Um, every time he jumps or you know, in, in his life, in life. yeah okay.
1: and, and, but that's depend on how long they do it most base jumpers careers are seven years they die retire get injured seven years that's it so yeah. like if you look at it like that too which is the way i did is like i've got seven years in the sport and that's it then you do what you need to do and you and and that's yeah. seven years i'll be like if i'm alive i'm like okay i'm out that's okay that's how many years in are you Three and a half now, All right, so, so halfway. You're halfway there. Yeah, and that's good. Like, I like a tour of duty in the yeah, military, exactly,
0: right? It's completely voluntary. <laughs> it's, it's, that's
1: the thing. It's it's like going to war, except everyone's there of their own accord, and just like war, you come back. Some people are missing arms. Some people are dead. You know, you're not angry at anyone. It's just, but the difference is, it's totally voluntary.
0: So, what's your, what is your view of death, Donald? I mean, uh, I have We haven't ever even talked about your spiritual beliefs or any of that. What is your view of death? What happens when you die? What is your take on it? Um. I think it's a
1: dimensional thing, man. Like, I really do think it's a yeah. dimensional thing. And I think base jumpers specifically and wingsuiters are one of the few people, and maybe people in the military that are so okay with death, it doesn't even bug them. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's where that vibrating at different frequency comes in because every single time you jump, you're killing yourself. You are dying until you do something yeah. about it. And, like, that's, sometimes you succeed. <laughs> you know, sometimes yeah. you really <laughs> succeed at dying. But, like, that that for me is more important than what happens afterwards is the fact that I'm okay with it. Like everyone that's running around absolutely petrified of death, they get scared to live. Right. Like that's it. Once, once you die, I think it's, you know, it's energy or light or whatever, but it's, it's something that we don't understand and we can't wrap our minds around at this point. So I'm right. like, I'll, you know, once I cross that bridge, I'll
0: get to it. Yeah, kind of like the Native American saying before they go to battle, you know, they always tell themselves today is a good day to die. Or the samurais who, you know, walked carrying death as their their greatest ally as part of their Bushido code. You know, I I think there is something very freeing about that because that is the most pervasive fear for everybody across the board is fear of dying. You want to hang on, hang on to this life. I think for me, fortunately, um, I didn't have to get there by jumping off crazy shit. It (laughs) was through ayahuasca Ayahuasca and the medicine work. I mean, you actually experience a very physical death where you confront your death head on. and have to accept it, have to fully accept it before, um, before you can move on. And then you feel reborn. And at that point where you've accepted your death, that's a huge step to mm-hmm. overcome. So uh, for those people who don't want to fling themselves off a cliff, there are, there are other ways to <laughs> yeah. get there. But for me also, there was another experience I had. Um, there was a psilocybin experience that where I was able to actually lift out of my body completely. Mm-hmm. Like my breath stopped. I mean it would be really interesting to see if it actually stopped but it certainly seemed like to me like i no longer was breathing needed to like my whole body my heartbeat went down to like the very base minimum i'm sure there's like a little bit of oxygen trickling back and forth but no like conscious (sighs) at all it was just like dead silence in my body nothing no sensation no feeling i mean way beyond isolation tank shit like absolute zero in my body and then i could feel my spirit lift off and look down and i was like oh shit like that's not me that's Mm -hmm. just the that's just the packaging you know that's a pair of jeans yeah yeah yeah, exactly (laughs) (laughs) so at that point you know it totally shifted my view of death and to one of if we die if i died now uh, it would just be a shame because i didn't quite get to do what i feel like i was meant to do here you know i'm just like damn that sucks i have to come back and try again and grow up and, you know, do, learn all the things I already (laughs) learned, you know? Um, And it would just be a shame. I'd be kind of bummed out. I'd be bummed out for the people who are alive. They would miss me, you know, and hopefully, you know, tell them if I die and I'm sure you probably have some, I just have a fucking big party. Like, don't be sad. You know, it's a shame. Like, yeah, it's a bummer. Like Aubrey didn't get to quite do what he wanted to do. I never got to write the book that I intend to write or, you know, do have the kids and, and do all that. Uh, but there's nothing really scary about it at that point, you know. And I think that's that's something that a lot of people could really benefit from: is just having no fear of death.
1: Yeah, and and it's not it's not a big thing to do. I mean, people say to me, "You're crazy." I'm like, no. And without being mean to them, I'm like you're the one that's crazy. Like you don't have a passport you know you've never traveled you've never yep. been scared when was the last time you were actually scared not like oh god i'm late for work but like actually like fucking <laughs> right. shit like last year we got shot at in south africa and costa rica and that that's like a that's like bulletproof coffee it fucking wakes you up you're like okay <laughs> and one of the guys was shooting at our headlamps and it's like that's that really like makes you focus on things yeah and people i'd say 99 of people aren't gonna die the way that they saw it coming so what the fuck you know why why try and conserve your life so aggressively if you're gonna die anyway it may not be a good way to die my thing is i'm not reckless with my life if there's a choice between doing something that i could potentially die in and something i'm gonna die in, i'm definitely not gonna do the thing sure. i'm gonna die you
0: don't have a death wish
1: no and if i do die i'm gonna be like you fucking bummed like it's sad like i didn't have kids didn't do the book and all mm-hmm. that but that's not gonna stop me from doing what i want to do and like that's where pe- like i'm trying to get people to understand 10 years ago, we would never ever swim with sharks. Nowadays, you have tours for fucking people down in the Bahamas where they go feed sharks out of their hand.
0: Yeah, the yeah, way yeah. we're
1: progressing as a species, we have kids growing up now that only know what wingsuit base is. They don't go through skydiving. They don't go through all the normal channels. They just go straight for the holy grail. So they starting where the pioneers of the days are now. And they essentially going to a place we can't even imagine, just like skateboarding. You know, you have a twelve-year-old kid doing a nine hundred on mega ramp where mm-hmm. Tony Hawk didn't try it and Bob Burnquist <laughs> yeah, only sure. did one. Yeah, stuff the same that's the
0: like, uh, It's the same in MMA now. You yeah. got these little kids. You can look up on YouTube, little kids throwing combinations and yeah. takedowns, and you're like, that kid is five, and that? he is an MMA gangster. That's
1: right? The, the, the commercial with the two kids beating the crap out of each other. And Rory yeah. McDonald's a good example yeah, too. Yeah, for he's sure. Just, you know, young kid, and he's like, he just picked up where the masters are now, and he just carried on building on it. So the way I see wingsuiting and all that stuff, it's going to progress fast. My joke is on Shark Week, you know, we've got to the point now where like the next thing that the American public wants to see is a person get eaten. Because we've done everything, (laughs) right? We've done everything else. And like the way, and and the way that TV's going now, people are, they want so much that they just, you know, they don't care about human life anymore. You know, they're willing, they're like, oh, if a person dies on TV, meh. (laughs) Yeah. One of those things
0: beyond yeah, TV. <laughs> Certainly plenty of that on the internet. So as we're kind of wrapping this podcast up here, I wanted to ask you, you know, what does, what does your fitness kind of regime look like for all this crazy Jeez. shit that you do? I mean, you're going a million miles an hour, but what do you try and focus on to get yourself ready to uh, survive in these death, death-defying <laughs> Things. Uh, adventures.
1: Oftentimes, you know, the, the downside of what, what we do and what I do specifically, and like you, I know you you travel a lot too, is mm-hmm. traveling beats the fuck out of you. And I yeah. know it's not an excuse, but you you sick so much of the time that, like, often supplements and that is the only thing. I feel like the immunity stuff that I take from you, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't make me never get sick, but I think the times I do get sick, I feel a lot better, a lot sure. quicker. Sure. And I've, I haven't taken antibiotics in two years. I know, like, that's something I'm, I'm trying to avoid. After. All the stuff that I've been through, monitoring my blood cholesterol levels with my dad dying, you know, like that's uh-huh. one one thing that I check on. Try and work on cardio. Try and work on whatever like I'm working on. Like at the moment, my shoulders are really fucked from wingsuiting and base jumping, so working on that. And then the hikes, you know, when you're in Switzerland for three weeks and you you hiking alpine environments and all that, that beats the shit out of you quickly, and you realize yeah, yeah, you know yeah, yeah. where you need work traditional big muscles don't really work in wingsuiting because they're so dense. So it's a lot more of like weird body position. And that. like- so, so like, like yoga? I mean, not, not yoga. The one thing I'm actually starting to t- take up is bar method, which is that dance stuff. Cause my girlfriend's a fitness instructor uh-huh. now. In but yeah, I like to just cardio and, and, and when my ankles are okay, running in the gym and all that. But not definitely not yoga yet, but, but bar yeah. method. Which What's is- that? It's like ballet. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I swear to God you should yeah. check it out it's it's small repetitive movements using uh-huh. a ballet bar but uh-huh. it's like it focuses on certain parts of the, of the body sure. so like it, it with bad shoulders some more just,
0: skeletal integrity is yeah. what you're is what you're targeting rather exactly. than a high degree of fitness or the longest cardio, yeah you know? the
1: longest base jump you'll do is 90 seconds so it's yeah. very explosive in, in that moment but a lot of it is also it's almost like swimming where you need to be calm and not strong it's all about yeah, finesse yeah, yeah. and being relaxed and that rather than being like manhandling a wingsuit and then the wingsuit just doesn't fly
0: yeah yeah right on man so um you know you've been taking some on honor products for a yeah. while this podcast is obviously you know Made possible in part by Onnit. Yeah. Um, that's o-n-n-i-t dot com. If you guys aren't aware of that, so what are some of the interactions you've had with the uh, with the Onnit products? Um, the funniest
1: thing, and recent, like over the last year, it's, it's actually been quite a bit. But year, eight months, it's been it's been a while. Um, mm-hmm. the, the last week, um, I was at a dinner party and a guy said to me, "Have you heard of this stuff called Alpha Brain?" And I had a <laughs> bottle on the table. I was actually, I'm like, "Well, I'm flying to see Onnit next week." And he's like, dude, I went to Peru because of the Warrior Poet podcast <laughs> and because of Aubrey Marcus, it changed my life. I did ayahuasca. I was like, I'm texting him right now. <laughs> that, yeah. that kind of stuff is, is the stuff that you could never plan on, but it is amazing. And then the day-to-day things, like with my girlfriend being a, a, a fitness trainer, and that uh-huh. she, you know, she uses the shroom tech, she uses the immunity, she uses alpha brain when she's in trouble, like that kind of stuff's amazing. And he, seeing it with my girlfriend, she has no like axe to grind she, if she's using it means it works right, right for me i think it's like it's changed the way I, I i do certain things like you know in the morning it's like do i need a cup of coffee can i use alpha brain like that mm-hmm. kind of stuff's amazing the interactions obviously adam is a good friend of mine based on when i said we're coming to see you he just like, melted down it's like holy <laughs> and you're like well yeah he's like you know Aubrey? i'm like yeah actually, i said <laughs> and that kind of stuff and then obviously the joe rogan you know as soon as you mention you joe rogan alpha brain that all like comes together so quickly it's like a you know, new generation of people that are aware of the environment, their body, spirituality, yep. and like you know, not to fuck with shit. You know, not don't let's not totally screw it up for, for the next generation, which I think is a good brand, you know, idea to have.
0: That's the that's the main message. You just summed it up. Oh, right really? there. And I think that's a good way to <laughs> to call an end to this fine episode of the Warrior Poet Podcast. Donald, it's been a real pleasure to have you on board. Um, if you guys uh, once again always check out uh, check out our friends across the pond at London Real dot uh, tv they're putting out a great product as well getting a bunch of cool guests on there um i heard they got robert green on there too i really want to uh listen to that i've read all of his books except for the new book mastery so have you ever read any yeah, of robert no. green stuff oh it's what's killer he, 48 like? laws of power what's he like Who, like which authors he like <laughs> he creates these um basically psychological and philosophical analyses based around a certain topic so there's power war um seduction different things and he just removes morality from the from the equation so he says okay you want power this is how you do it we'll let you figure out your own morality (laughs) and then he brings in all of these really cool stories from history and all of these examples i don't know who's on his research team but it's amazing i mean not only is philosophy good but just the the anecdotes that he uses to illustrate it are excellent and he wrote you actually wrote a book with 50 cent called the 50th law which is kind of a it's kind of a lot of his other stuff, but just kind of put in, you know, how it applies to '50s life and uh, and all that. But he just finished a book called Mastery, which I'm about to about to get in. But interesting, lots of good books out there too. Yeah. People read read books. Yeah, and the one book that I'd and,
1: say if they want to read something about the rhinoceros stuff there's it's called Killing for con. Oh no, yeah, it's Killing for Profit. It's like literally the whole syndicate and everything behind the rhino crisis and, and how it's like now today actually they announced and it's a national security risk, the illegal wildlife trade because terrorists are going and using that money to fund terrorist operations. So it's getting to the point now that caring for rhinos actually is going to impact people.
0: <laughs> all right so donald if people want to get in touch with you if people want to reach out and follow you a little bit more how can they uh how can they the best seek is seek you out the best is
1: twitter at donald schultz d-o-n-a-l-d-s-c-h-u-l-t-z um mm-hmm. we obviously working with you this weekend doing a bunch of fun jumps which we'll mm-hmm. only post in that once we leave the state <laughs> yeah <laughs> <Right on. laughs> right and then yeah that's the most current thing and I mean,
0: donaldschultz.com uh,
1: donaldschultz.com is the website yeah
0: yeah another one All right, people. This is it for the Roy Poe Podcast. Have a great fucking weekend. We'll catch up with you soon. Adios.